When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another episode of From the Pink Seeds podcast. Jacob Lane joined by my co-host Matt McGavick. No Vincent Lacoco today, uh, but you will hear from him very soon. We've got a two-pack of episodes dropping uh, as you listen to this one. There is also uh, a little bit more of an uh, extensive uh, breakdown of the Boston College game and, of course, a preview of Virginia. Everything uh, in between talking about Scott Satterfield that you can hop over right after this uh, to listen to. But for this episode... Uh, we're going to sit down and have a great conversation. Not only uh, will you get myself and Matt today, but you'll uh, also be joined by Tyler Griever of WHS 11, uh, one of the best sports journalists uh, in the city. Uh, and he is a great guy, great guy. But we're going to talk about Louisville football today. We're going to talk a little Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson. We're going to get into the nitty gritty with Tyler of, of what's been going on with the football program. And, uh, you know, obviously, Matt, you were covering media day this, uh, not media day, but the media availability this week. Uh, we did the coaches show. Um, and so there's been a lot of time to kind of hear from Scott Satterfield, uh, both in that setting and an informal setting of the coaches show. And, and just there's obviously a sense of urgency that's very prevalent that we have not yet seen in, mo- in emotion. We're going to get into all that today, but it's it's just it's just been an interesting couple of weeks. Right. Oh, yeah. No, no kidding. A ton to get into uh, with Tyler Griever of WHS 11. We're going to do that here momentarily, uh, but be sure that you're subscribed to the show anywhere you get your podcast from, from the Pink Seats podcast. Uh, tune in each week as we dive in and talk to the details of each game. It's becoming more and more depressing as the season goes on, but uh, still a lot of time left <laughs> in the year. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pink Seats Pod, at Jacob Lane 08, at Matt underscore McGavick, and of course, stateoflouisville.com. Louisville Report of Sports Illustrated is where you will find Matt's work. On the other side, we will be joined by Tyler Griever. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the episode now. We are stoked to have Tyler Griever of WHS 11 join us. Tyler, thanks for for taking some time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got a lot going on uh, to talk Louisville football, which is definitely not the brightest uh, spot of conversation these days. But it, uh, at least we're going to have some fun with it, I, w- I would hope at least. Yeah, no problem, man. Like it's it's been a, a season of like constant figuring, you know, constant referendums, it feels like. And I don't think anybody in the fan base is, uh, you know, this isn't new to them. Like, I feel like we all knew we were going to start having some of these conversations coming into the year. And it's worse than I think a lot of us thought um, in terms of the start. So, yeah, there's plenty to dive into. Yeah. And before we get into the Louisville football stuff, I want to start with uh, your your Baltimore Ravens. Right. Last time you came on the show, we <laughs> talked uh, a lot about Lamar Jackson. We talked about the contract situation. This was like a year and a half ago. Nothing yeah. has changed on that front. Baltimore mm-hmm. Ravens still have not paid the man, which uh, John Harbour or anybody uh, in the front office, John DeCosta, if you're listening, just go ahead and do that. Um, yeah. But here we are. The Baltimore Ravens sit at two and two. You just went to the game. First of all, how was that experience for you? Because I can imagine that was yeah. a great, great atmosphere. Well, it was awesome because, um, you know, for those who don't know, my family, we had season tickets from when I was like four years old to uh we we do not have them anymore my parents are both uh over 60 now and it's kind of just a lot to to drive up there every weekend and and it's a lot of money obviously to invest 
Uh, so I was really privileged to have that growing up. Um, you know, we lived in Maryland briefly when the Ravens moved there in 96, while my dad, who retired from Costco recently, was working at a location in that area. So we moved to Virginia. And like to give a picture, whether it was when we were living in Chesapeake, which is in the southeast part of the state, or Richmond, which is central Virginia, we would drive up to Baltimore on Saturday night, stay in a hotel, go to the game on Sunday, and then drive back after the game was over on Sunday so I could be at school on Monday. Um, so that was like pretty formative reason of why I even do what I do for a living. I grew up in it. So the stadium means a lot to me because it, it just carries a lot of memories. And, um, and I hadn't been back in seven years, I think, because I've lived in <laughs> Mississippi, Kansas, <laughs> Kentucky. Uh, the, the job's kind of demanding, so you can't get time off that easily. Um, but that was a weekend where Louisville and Kentucky were both on the road. Uh, my mom's birthday was the day before the game. So it all kind of lined up to be a full experience, but they've really improved the stadium. Like it was already a good stadium, but the video boards are bigger yet non-obtrusive in terms of sight lines. They have corner video boards with like out of town scores and like red zone alerts and stuff. It's, it's really That's awesome. Yeah. Escalators, elevators. I mean, they, Steve Biscotti, I think is an owner has invested the money back into the stadium and the concession prices were really affordable. Like, you know, I was shocked, honestly. Um, even beer wasn't that bad. I only had one beer because like the level of everyone, I can't drink much when I'm watching <laughs> like a team I really care about. Like that's stressful enough. So I don't need alcohol in that scenario. Maybe afterwards if it really goes bad, but like not not while watching the game so no it was awesome I mean the game watching Lamar and Josh I mean they, they're just unbelievable quarterbacks um obviously like the Ravens blew it again which you know is concerning but it, I mean it's week four man like I just can't I can't get overreactionary about it especially against a team that I consider to be probably the best in the NFL in Buffalo. Like they're really good so Josh Allen made some plays that I don't think anybody could stop so uh it was fun it was awesome well, here's a couple of stats for you. I want to start with a bad one first, because I know this one's not your favorite, but I'm sure you've seen this. So in sure. the this is a perfect summary of the Ravens football. And actually, it's kind of like perfect parallel to Louisville football. Uh, and there are two losses this season. The Ravens have been leading for 96 minutes and 22 seconds. They've been tied for 23 minutes and 24 seconds, and they have been losing for 14 seconds, 14 <laughs> seconds of game clock before before losing. Right. Just yeah, crazy. Jeez. But here's the fun stuff. Okay. So in terms yeah. of Lamar Jackson, I just pulled like, these are literally like, you know how they have the Chuck Norris facts. Like this is just at this point, it's getting stupid with Lamar. Like <laughs> numbers are just um, to the fact that uh, Lamar Jackson has more total touchdowns than every team in the NFL besides the Detroit lions. Okay. Let that sink in uh, yeah. in terms of fantasy football scores this year. Okay. So Lamar Jackson um, as a, but Lamar is a top five player not only as a total passer and runner, uh, but just as a passer. So you're talking about Lamar as a two-time top five fantasy football player right now. Lamar has more rushing yards than Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Joe Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, uh, leads the league in touchdown passes. What a year for him, man. Like what, yeah. this he's like 300 million, 400 million. I mean, I don't know what is too much for him. I, from my perspective, all right, so I'm going to walk this back for a second because there's a lot of people in Louisville who understandably probably have not followed the Ravens very closely until Lamar got there. And like, mm -hmm. it was quarterback hell before Joe Flacco came. 
Like Joe Flacco, I know people are like, oh, is Flacco elite? Whatever. Like, dude, Joe was good enough. <laughs> like, you know, Trent Dilfer won the Super Bowl in Baltimore, thanks to the greatest defense of all time. I could go through a laundry list of names that have played that position. We we did have Steve McNair, but like Steve, you know, I think was kind of more towards the tail end of his career. It was a good season that ended up being disappointing. But anyway, like, you know, we're used to defensive, ugly football, grinding and out. And so on two fronts, one, I think that's what's jarring for a lot of fans right now with how they've lost these two games. Because in the past, Ravens fans were like, we're up 10, this is over. But we're up seven, this is over. Our defense has got this. Like, this is done. So the fact that they have blown three possession leads on two separate occasions now this early in the season, which also continues a kind of a disturbing trend going back in years past, because I think they've lost five straight home games now. Um, that is rubbing people the wrong way. Um, so that's got to improve. But from the Lamar front, it also plays into the fact that, like, some of the offensive guys the Ravens have had, um, Jamal Lewis was great, Shannon Sharp was great, Anquan Bolton. They've had good players, but nobody, like, that electrifying or productive to the point that Lamar is. I don't care what it takes to lock him up. Like, do it. I don't care what the amount is. Um, I think the price is only going to keep going up. There yeah, is- no matter what sort of right, cap yeah. hit he takes from whatever his contract extension Whatever it does, the Ravens overall, you know, cap is, I don't know what kind of cap issues they have, but no matter what that effect has, it's gotten to the point where it's going to be worth it. Maybe you could have a debate about that before the season, before he started just taking off into the stratosphere so far this year. But now I think the Ravens have reached a point where, like, you you pay him what he wants, no matter how much it is. Every time I see Lamar take the field now and do something spectacular, I think of that that meme from the wire, the price of the brick going up. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is every single time. And, and good for him. He deserves it. Let's jump into the Louisville conversation here because uh, they are in quite a juxtaposition right now because this is a team that I don't think anybody expected them to go out and win 10, 11 games. I mean, I did predict them to start eight and one, which I know that yeah. sounds crazy now, but the schedule shaped up for them to really be <laughs> where Jacob was wrong. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> amongst plenty of other things, but the schedule shaped out for them to really set themselves up to be in a really good spot early on. Um, they, they obviously, you know, fumbled the bag against Syracuse. A lot of questions, but they've done that in years past with game, with season openers, right? You, you put it behind you, you move on. You pick up two wins against Florida teams that you're, you know, okay, that's fine. But the losses, Tyler, are just so egregious that now here we are five games into the season, heading into a game against Bo- uh, Virginia where who knows? I, I mean, honestly, we don't know. What, what Phil Jerkovich just did, Brandon Armstrong, could easily outdo. Or Louisville could come out and look like world beaters. You, you just don't know week to week what you're getting with this team. And the conversations that were uh, very prevalent last year after the UK game and the Air Force game are now back. And uh, mm-hmm. fans, I think, are about, if Louisville loses on Saturday, fans are done. Like, it's just going to be a complete mental checkout. But what what is, what in your opinion, man, just how, how do we get here? I mean, the numbers, Matt and I have been talking about this a little bit before we got on the air. They're not they're not awful. Like they're not great, but they're not awful. They, they scream mediocrity, right. Is what they are, which, okay. That's another conversation again about Scott Satterfield that we can have, but now we're in a situation where they might start Owen four in the ACC. They may not win an ACC game. um, And you might be looking at having to make a coaching change during the season. Uh, I don't know, man. Like how do we get here? Oof. Uh, How much time you got? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 
I, well, one thing I want to say is like, I don't like speaking for fans too much. I try to gauge the temperature a lot when I look at reactions to things. And I think some of them are already there with being done. And, and frankly, I can't blame them because yeah. I don't care what scenario we would have come up with. I don't think anybody had them starting like this in ACC play. No, nobody. No. Boston College is not good. No, like we can all agree on that. B- Zay BC Flowers, is terrible. Zay Flowers is a great player, great player, and he made plays that great players make. But the the thing that I keep, I, I feel like I sound like a broken record talking about all this, but it's true. The same issues we've talked about since I've been here, and I've been here for this is my third year in Louisville. It's they keep rearing their ugly heads, whether it's mm-hmm. bad penalties, untimely mistakes giving up big plays at the wrong time, not not hitting big plays on offense, the offense not picking the defense up, the defense not picking the offense up. Um, and, and, you know, the excuses start piling up and piling up and piling up. And for me, it's just like, those are done. The results speak for themselves at this mm-hmm. point, you know? And, and all you can arrive at now is Scott, the staff, um, kind of excluding maybe the staff who just got here this season, but clearly that's not really going how people thought either. Um, bear responsibility for not preparing or coaching these guys well enough leading up to the season and during the season and making adjustments in games to stop being outcoached. That, that's like bottom line for me at this point because – you, you go through these close losses, the teams, some teams that shouldn't have been even close. Um, I think Syracuse is better than a lot of us maybe thought they were going to be. They're having a, a good year. But in general, like, I just don't understand what other conclusion you can come to now. Like, uh, and Mark Ennis and I have talked about this a lot. Like, for them to uh, change how people were thinking and reacting – they basically have to transform into something they haven't proven themselves to be capable of being under Scott. And that is some, a team who can respond to mistakes, who can play well from start to finish. So they're going to have big opportunities to do that against some really hard competition after Virginia. Uh, and even like someone like James Madison, like that's a really good program. Like I know that they're not, a you know, quote unquote, like a big dog yet. Um, and their mascot, the Dukes, and I'm from Virginia, so I feel like it's kind of a fun. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, it's it's they're gonna have chances, but I I just don't see what you're pulling from to say that they're capable of doing that. And kind of going back to how you said caging the temperature of the fan base, based on what I personally seen, this is the best way that I can try and summarize it. I feel like the Florida State game based on like how it came about, how it was kind of a combination of everything that had ever gone wrong in the Scott Satterfield era, turnovers, penalties, inability to finish in the fourth quarter, everything, every nitpicky thing that's ever happened, like bad thing that's ever happened with Satterfield made itself apparent in this game. And that Florida state game was the breaking point for a lot of the fan base now but after that they obviously still had plenty of games left if they had won the next three games in a row usf bc virginia you can still make an argument that centerfield can save save the season and save his job but with the boston college game the blueprint was kind of similar to boss to a florida state excuse me how 
a bunch of little things went wrong that inevitably led to the result. But that came against a team that was far, far worse than Florida State. Yeah. I mean, Boston yeah. College, going into this game, that you could make an argument that they were bottom five in all the power five. They're that yeah. bad. Like, they mm-hmm. – their offensive line was so bad that they were single-handedly taking the entire team down with them, not just the offense. And it wasn't just the fact that they lost against a team in which they were a two-touchdown favorite. Boston College kind of set the tone early and often. Yeah. And I agree. The, the in-general reaction to that game was like, this was the definitive moment. And I wrote about this, and I, I, this is my stance too. This was the game that was the definitive point that showed people this is the beginning of the end. And the writing seems to be on the wall as to where this is setting. Before this game, you could say, well, if he does this, well, if he does that, they could they could save the season, he could save his job, bring in the class, yada, yada, yada. This was the point where the vast majority of people could say, okay, this is the point of no return. Yeah, and I mean, I think some people start really started feeling that way too after the um, the Florida State loss, you know, because that mm-hmm. was just too familiar of a feeling, and like it was such a big moment for for Scott to like kind of finally meet, and, and that's something that I think also hurts him at Louisville is it's like what is his signature win? It's the I, Wake I don't, Forest from twenty nineteen. The Wake Forest in twenty nineteen. Uh, I mean, yeah. that's like that ain't gonna get it done. No, man, like. You know, a lot of people talk about Jeff Braun, right? What Jeff has going for him beyond all the obvious connections is that, like, he has really flashy wins over ranked opponents. Like, outside of that, if we're talking records and resumes, actually, here's an exercise. Do the blind test. Oh, it's, oh yeah. Coach yeah. A, yeah. Coach B, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Do that with Scott and Jeff. Tell me how different it is. It, and then, yeah. I'll, you know, because I, I, I got no state. I don't care. Like, I don't know, Jeff. I don't, nothing. I'm just like, I think he's a good coach. I think he's done a good job at Purdue. Um, but I question if he is this obvious immediate upgrade that a lot of people believe him to be. Right. Uh, but, but beyond that, like, the Florida State thing was, that was kind of like, okay, now your back's against the wall. Like, you can't afford another heartbreaking loss. You got three easy games coming up. You take care of business in each of those, and nobody's going to be impressed. But that's so just what like it's what you're you're treading water at this point. Um, but South Florida, you know, they beat the hell out of them, wasn't close. Do what you need to do, and then you just completely fell flat against a bad ACC team. Uh, the only, I mean, what's crazy is like the only positive thing, really, one of the only positive things to take from that game is like I'm glad they took Malik out if he wasn't feeling like himself like mm-hmm. that's the proper response um and I hope he's okay uh because obviously these are just really serious situations but um yeah moving forward with Virginia I, I don't really think there's much to be impressed with if they win I just think it only gets worse if they they lose yeah and that's what I say you could be looking at starting 0-4 in the ACC and and at that point you're, you're probably not going to win a game. If you do, you know, you're talking about the defining win of his, of his tenure here, you know, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the conversation kind of has now kind of shifted from he's not the guy. And this is a, just a, again, I, just a kind of pulse of the fan base. I don't think this is internally the conversation with the, the administration, but the conversation is now becoming, you know, if they move on, what, what's the timing of it? What does it make sense to do it in season? Is it one of those things that you give them the full year? And what I keep coming back to is an answer that no one likes, but there's still time on the clock. There is still time on the clock for him to save his job. They could go out and beat Clemson and Pitt and Wake. And here we are. We're, we're right back to where we were in the offseason. That's the that's just such a weird thing about it. And we said at the beginning of the year, Tyler, that it was going to be a week by week conversation of how he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's much, much, much further than that, uh, than just a week. It's a day by day. And, and it really is, you know. I don't know what the administration does. Uh, uh, Presley wrote, Presley Meyer of State of Louisville wrote a great article um, on our site about the financials. And Presley is very plugged in with being able to pull those numbers and then make sense of them. Um, And it really kind of paints this picture that Jeff Brom is not possible, right? So then you're looking at Louisville and the administration and you have to ask yourself, what are we as a program? Are we a top, are we a big dog? Are we going to go find the the buyout money and then be able to go hire a coach? Or is it more likely that we're going to have to move on to another candidate who may not be as good, who may not have as much proven. And and that's the tricky part. I I mean, I don't necessarily know if, if moving on makes sense when you don't have the next best thing in line. And so I guess my question and what the conversation then here is what, I mean, we're going to have regardless, right? This staff is going to play out the end of the season. Is, is it, is it, you know, I know it's kind of sound dumb question. Is it over? Is it over? Or do you, I mean, do you guys see that? You know, I, I said yesterday, I think he's got a couple of cards left that he could pull. You know, you could see a firing of a coordinator, a demotion play calling really being handed over. I mean, there's still moves. I just, I just don't know if it's going to make any difference, I guess is what I'm getting at. Well, I think you, uh, I've referred to the coordinator moves that you're referencing as kind of like the first plays in the save my ass playbook if you're a head coach, um, <laughs> yeah. because it's a way to try and show that, you know, you're doing something. And I think Scott's already kind of hinted at it a little bit because he said in the availability that he's going to be more involved in the defensive meeting rooms and that Lance Taylor will be, he was involved with some play calling, but more involved. And I think that's as damning as anything, because we know that Scott, I think takes a lot of, pride in what he thinks his ability is as a play caller. So those are the first dominoes there. The financial issue is a totally separate deal because this athletic department has just, you know, gone through so much, you know, so many situations over the past yeah. decade or so that I don't feel at liberty to have to go into much detail with this. No, audience. I, don't, I don't think we'll save you the, the time. Yeah, we we don't need to do that. Um, right. So it becomes like a financial reality. And from that point, it's like, you know, from Josh Hurt's perspective, and, and I wonder this, do you start or has he started pushing donors to donate money mm-hmm. to afford the buyout? Like, mm-hmm. because I think there will come a point where he almost has to do that, if that, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, you know, let's say for the sake of argument, they beat Virginia. That's their third one of the year. Um and I'll maybe give them JMU just for the sake of it. Let's say you finish your, your four wins. That's where you're at. Yeah. What, what do you do? Like, are, are you, are you buying them out? Are you giving them to the end of the season, finish it out and moving on? Um, it's a tough question. Um, the financial part of it is probably something that's not discussed enough because 
uh, sports or, you know, people are emotional. They want to change. They're tired of this. And I get it. But sometimes the business of it is how realistic is all of it right now. Yeah, you can't just go firing people, you know, and figure out the financials of it later, which is what, a, you know, we're going to see Texas A&M probably do. We're going to definitely probably next week see Auburn hop on the, the firing train and let go of Brian Harson finally. I mean, it, it's a part of the conversation because, yes, sad is proven, like, there's there's a lot to be to be um, desired with some of the moves and decisions he's made, um, but there's also still you know I know it's four years in, but you're sitting here with this class and you're talking maybe you can talk yourself into maybe one of the issues has been that he just needs his own quarterback. Uh, you know I I don't know. There's a number of different things you could point out, but that class you know if he can get to five wins, which I think is a miracle at this point, and it may save him because Louisville just isn't in a position to hire. And, you know, we're going to start having this conversation, assuming that Louisville doesn't turn things around. And I, I definitely don't want to have this conversation today. This is not Tyler Graver. Give me your five candidates for who the next coach. <laughs> is. But, you know, in a preliminary kind of way, you kind of do have to look at the market and it's, you know, OK, yeah, there are some head coaches, Jeff Brown being one of them. I don't I can't remember the guy's last name, but uh, the coach at Kansas, Lance. What is it? Lance? Lance Lippen. Lippen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, th- then you have, you know, Paul Christ and there's Tom Herman out there. And then if you look at. Um, you know, there's there's some really good young coordinators. And then you have Dave Ragone, who's obviously an NFL offensive coordinator, who's a big time alumni played for the football. There's there's these names. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are they better than Sat? And we don't know the answer to that. And a program that has to write a five, six million dollar check uh, for buyouts and new salaries and, and a brain. It's just it, that's a question they have to weigh. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they kind of go that way. But so you have these these games left, and we've kind of talked about Virginia is the one you get it. You know, you 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 feel a little bit better about that. Uh, but then you have Pitt, Wake, James Madison, NC State, Clemson, Kentucky, and that's where I say if he's going to save his job. He's got to win four of those six. Has to, and that's just that's a daunting. daunting. Pass. Never beaten a ranked yeah. team once besides Wake Forest, who was like number twenty four, and now you got to go beat four ranked teams. Uh, one of the best teams, you know, the, obviously the best team in the conference. Another team, a couple teams that aren't that bad. I mean, I just – I don't know. And I, I just don't know what that means for the future of this program. That's the thing, man. Yeah, and you you look at those final seven – I mean, well, final six, rather. And like, you can, I guess, try and talk yourself into, like, stealing a couple of those. Pitt is coming off a performance where they just lost as a three-touchdown favorite to Georgia Tech, so they're mortal. Wake's def- defense is terrible, even though their offense is good. JMU, I mean, yeah, they're not power five, but – they're, they're not anyone to sniff out either. NC State, those final three, I think at this point, you just there's there's no way. NC State, they play Clemson really close at their place. I still think they're deserving of like a top 10 ranking because they're obviously one of the better teams in the country. Clemson, I'm not even gonna have that discussion. They're they're getting their ass beat in that one. It's the same way with Kentucky, man. And Kentucky, well, Kentucky, even with their offensive line and run game struggles, they're showing now that they're starting to develop a repertoire through the air. So that's a whole other conversation there. It, it's, it's, it's even in your most optimistic, with your most optimistic mindset, it's really hard to try and talk your way into thinking they can win four of those. It's hard to, to think they can win three or two of those final six games, let alone four. Yeah, and I a line I like to draw a lot as a fan, and I try to do this with the Ravens a lot, is like, you know, yes, there's room for optimism as a fan and you want that, whatever. But like at a certain point, you've just got to be realistic. Like, yeah. And and fans care so much about their teams that they're going to be the ones who are hardest on them in a lot of scenarios. 
And I don't think like you're a quote unquote bad fan if you're not optimistic or if you don't want to go to a game or things like that. Because like Louisville fans have been asked over and over and over again to keep buying in and keep buying in. And it's like, well, where's the return on that? You know, for, from from this era of Louisville football. In the past, there were some, obviously, but now, over the past couple of years, outside of the first season, they're not there. They're just not. So I'm not advocating for you to do anything because I'm not going to tell you how to be a fan of a damn team. It's not my job. But, like, um, I just can't blame you however you want to react to it at, at this moment in time because it is a bit uncertain what's ahead. Uh, it becomes a lot more certain if they pull off a miracle and just t- totally turn their season around. And I, I just don't see how that's possible. Yeah. And and I've got a myriad of stats here that I just kind of want to briefly touch on to kind of guide <laughs> this conversation. One of which I read with Matt before we started is, and I looked at this last year um, after the season was over and it's a quarter by quarter breakdown of scoring for Louisville and, and what they're doing defensively. Right. So this year, Tyler, they are holding teams, Uh, outscoring teams in the first three quarters of games. And I don't have the totals of it, but first quarter, 49 to 38, second quarter, 37, 28, third quarter, third quarter, 23 to 14. But in the fourth quarter, including a game in which they only allowed three points, they are being outscored by 14 points, 23 to 37. And if you take out the South Florida game, it's they're being outscored 34 to 13 in the fourth quarter. Um, It's just this uh, one of the big things I think was sad, but it just seems like when the game is on the line, this team does not have the chip on their shoulder that they've always had. I don't know how much Louisville football you grew up watching, not having any affiliation to the market, (laughs) but Louisville football was built on this aggression, this chip on your shoulder that we're doubted, that we're the underdog, that no matter what we do, we don't get the respect we deserve, even though every day we go to work and we grind and we do what we need to do to be successful. Uh, and it feels like with Sat, just kind of that swag and that chip is not there. And the fourth quarter now, two years, and really, if you went back and you added these numbers up over four years, man, the fourth quarter is where Louisville really drops the ball. And I, the question I have, and you've been around the team, you've covered them, you've seen on the sidelines. Do you feel like there's an, a, a, a kind of, I don't, swag's not the right word. It's such a dad word trying to pull out right now. But do you feel like there's just something missing attitude-wise with this team to be able to overcome any sort of adversity? My response to that would have to be confidence at this point. Because at some, I think it, at some point, you have to be able to draw on your past experience as a boost that you can get through something. Like, hey, remember when we came back here? Or like, and, and by some account, the UCF win for some of the defensive guys might be like, hey, like we got this done. We shut this game down and we won it. Um, but as a whole, there's not a ton for that group to pull from as to keep believing mm-hmm. to, that they're going to come back or that they're not going to make a, a, a huge mistake. Um, I think it's all defined in, in situational football. You know, they're not good on third down. They're not good in the red zone. They don't, they're not great at scoring touchdowns in the red zone this year. Um, I talk all the time about kill shots. Like when you have a team down and you have that one drive that maybe you forget about a little later on because you were up like 17 points or something and you don't score on that drive or you don't put the pressure on, it gives your opponent a little bit of hope. That just keeps building and building and building and building. Um, and I think the offense takes a lot of deservedly takes a lot of blame in those situations because like, you know, the defense will get five straight stops and then the offense can't score on any of them to extend the lead or improve on it. 
Um, from the defensive point of view, the, the big plays are just, I mean, they're killing them. Absolutely. Oh, I that. Killing them. I've oh yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, Jacob had me pull up those sets. They're not pretty. <laughs> no, they're not. And 40, 50 other... yard play, Tyler, real quick. 117th yeah. on 40th yard, 40 yards or more allowed, 115th on 50 yard plays, tied for 89th with 60 yard plays. So, I mean, at least they're not 60 yards. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, 40, 50 yards seems to be kind of the moneymaker there for them. Yeah, but but you know what those are? Those plays are kill shots of a different kind. They are, wow, this game just changed. We're back in it. Um, all of these different things. And all of that combines with, I think, the staff's inability to adjust as these things are happening um, going into the second half. And uh, I think Scott now kind of has no choice but to kind of take that on its face. And that's why he was more vocal recently about being in the meeting rooms and changing some of his involvement with the defensive meetings and like Lance's involvement as a coordinator. So um, for me, though, I think a lot of it is a little too, too little too late. Yeah. Um, it so, feels like that. No, it definitely yeah, feels like that. But at the same time, though, like, I think like we talked about, you have those, you know, final six games to where he, he, you know, Josh heard, unless Saturday goes like, if they lose 47 to seven on Saturday, I see a scenario in which Louisville says, okay, we got to stop the bleeding. This is over. We got to make a move, but I also see a scenario where they win and sat stays through the end of the year and they have that opportunity. But like you said, there's nothing that would give you confidence, but at the same time, and I want to talk about Malik Cunningham to wrap the show up here um, before we kind of head off our separate ways, but with Louisville, you see a, a kind of a confidence in the first half with them um, in terms of the numbers. It's they've outscored their opponent this year, 86 to 66 in the first half of games, which shows me that scripted sat is a very real thing. When sat has the opportunity to script play script drives, uh, they, they typically offensively are able to score, but in the second half, they don't. And what the difference is this year is that when the defense has done well, they've given the offense the ability to score, to win games, right? You would think that if BC scores six points in the fourth quarter as Louisville offense, you can outscore them, um, but they don't, right? And then when Louisville's offense does score, you got tight ends going right up the middle of the field untouched because they've tricked the linebacker to come down in a run play or, you know, uh, Jarvis Brownlee just gets absolutely mossed in the end zone or, you know, they, they put Josh Megan's in single coverage. It's just these small lapses that are defining everything this year. And mm -hmm. I think overall, it's just so frustrating because in, in his sixth season, Malik Cunningham should be at his best and, and uh, this might be a little bit of a harsh criticism, but I think he might be at his worst this year. I think this might be the worst Malik Cunningham we've seen outside of a brawl 2018 62 yard play, but he can't make a completion because he's, you know, just trying to get out of the way. I think Malik Cunningham is the difference in why this team's not winning. If he's just slightly better, Tyler, I think this team might. And again, here we are doing the same thing. They're yeah. better. They're not, they're not sitting here with this record potentially staring 0 and 4 in the ACC in the face. If he connects on a couple of these passes, it's just a different thing. And, uh, what do you see from him? I think he's regressed a little bit um, in terms of the consistency of his throws, especially deep balls. Like, mm -hmm. he was hitting on a good amount of those last year. Now, we can't have that discussion without mentioning that, like, he lost his best deep threat. Tyler Harrell took the top off of defenses, and as of now, I don't think that anybody has stepped up to really fill that role. They um, tried making D. Wiggins that, and now he's hurt. Exactly. And – Beyond that, you know, I thought he started developing some pretty good chemistry with Jordan Watkins toward the end of last year as well. So you remove them, you have a whole new group of receivers, except for Braden Smith 
and some guys who are starting to get some playing time now. And then, uh, God, I'm so tired of beating this Marshawn Ford drum, but I'll just do it again. I don't understand how he's used. I don't get it. No, like it the, broad, the, no. the broadcast is now openly referring to him as an H-back. And I'm like, this guy has too much skill and too much talent to just be an H-back. Like, he needs to be a security blanket. He needs to be a guy who you're relying on to make tough catches and get more targets. So while I think Malik has regressed, I do not think the coaching staff has done enough to develop him and help him out. Um, Because now, I think you saw it against South Florida. There was a certain point against South Florida where they were like, you know what, Malik's going to run because they can't stop him from running. And he did that, and he was great. Uh, as a runner, he's still making plays. Uh, and, and I think what I struggle with it when we talk about him as a thrower is, like, I've seen him make big plays. I've seen him make plays where I'm like, damn, that's an NFL throw. That's right. a good pass. Yeah, the back-to-back passes against uh, – it might have been Boston College. I mean, had, I think so it was. Mario Huggins Bruce yeah, on that I mean, scoring drive. Yeah, I mean, those, those are two beautiful throws. Yeah, he drops back in the pocket and just does a dime across the sideline on a rope, and you're just like, that's the Malik that we're used to. And where I, I kind of push back on these that he's not being developed is look at the impact that Pete Thomas made with him last year. I thought Malik was that's a good point. as yeah. a passer last year. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I've been – is it Lance Taylor? Is did it, you know, is Pete too much Cali Pete right now? Like, what is, what has happened? And that's, that's a joke, not in all seriousness. Like, it's not <laughs> – coaching is hard. But it just seems like the little things with Malik have fallen off to the point that Matt will tell you the two biggest gripes I've had with him this season is when you're in crunch zone and it's on him to make a play. He's just thrown bad balls. Like, I just don't understand it. And it's been simple yeah. routine throws. Oh, yeah. I think a six-year quarterback would make, but – you look at Louisville, they're, they're 87th in passing offense, and in uh, passing efficiency, they're 103rd. They're terrible throwing the football. Well, I think the, something that – oh, go ahead. Uh, the, well, real quick, I think a microcosm of what you're talking about with some of the decisions is like the interception at the end of the Florida State game. Like, you got to just – you got to take some every now and then. And I, I think there are times where he's still trying to do too much because he feels like he has to do that. Yeah. And on that play, I was like, it's just a bad decision. There's there's no other way to put that. And a six-year quarterback can't be doing that. No. Like, and absolutely of, can't be doing that. And kind of building off of that, he's almost sort of a microcosm of what Louisville as a whole is right now, with the exception of the final eight throws that he made before he had to exit the Boston College game. He has been incredibly inconsistent in kind of building off what Jacob said and what I've said a few times on our podcast. He, every once in a while, will have amazing throws, whether that be just his decision-making to be able to, like, be a field general to march down or make NFL-style throws to the the boundary, like, on back shoulder throws, where you think, okay, yeah, this is where we're starting to see Cunningham advance as as a passer. But then to kind of counter those moments – he has moments that I could just best describe as complete boneheaded moments, whether that be throw, like making a read that is absolutely abysmal where he just does not see a defender right there or just quite frankly making a bad decision or he dramatically overthrows a wide open target. His moments that blow you away as a passer are being negated by the moments where he looks like he's completely lost as a passer. And that's kind of like how I look at Cunningham now is that I don't want to say he's regressed, 
but that the bad the bad parts of his game are just being magnified this year. Yeah. And they've needed him more than ever to just be what he was last year. Even if he just what he I mean, I know he turned the ball over a lot in 2020, but even still, if you can just be a little bit more of that passer combined, because this is potentially his best running. I mean, he's gonna be in a thousand yard rusher. Probably yeah. going to be one of the top, you know, touchdown scorers in the ACC, one of the top points mm-hmm. for a guy in the country. But at the end of the day, it comes back to the same argument with him is that he's not a win- he's not winning. I don't want to call him not a winner, but he's not winning when it matters. Um, and and so, you know, the bye week, hopefully you go into the bye week with a Virginia win. At this point, I don't know. I we, We'll do our show uh here shortly and i don't know what i'm going to predict it'll be on the on the on the fly type of deal but there's there's an opportunity here that exists for them to get things right i I stand by my my take that this is a very talented football team you will not convince me that there are guys on this team that are not Mm -hmm. potential nfl players um or who are are bona fide acc stars okay i I think that that is a true statement, but I think that there is something clearly missing from the day to day. There's something clearly missing in the play to play. They, 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 they dominate and then they are non-existent. And if they can round it together during the bye week, use that time to, to try to get the right path forward. I, maybe I'm an optimist, man. Maybe, I, maybe I'm too optimistic, but I think that there's uh, you know, them to potentially get to five. What I want to say, what I want to say on the talent standpoint for a second, and it's something that I have reiterated a couple different times, is that you know the recruiting class thing is always the the like reply from some people of like, are we going to lose the recruits? The 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 recruiting class is so talented, and this that the other, and like you can't lose these guys. And a like we don't know if Scott is the deal breaker in that scenario. We have no idea. But on top of that. How many examples of guys are you able to pull up where like, okay, Scott got the most out of that guy, like developed them and he's he's ready now. Mm -hmm. So that is going to work against you in in terms of, uh, you know, I I, I just don't really think it matters right now because there's just not enough evidence to suggest that he's able to take this highly talented prospect and and have them reach their ceiling. Yeah. Um, and again, people can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure I'm missing a few guys here or there, but a, a body of work. Yeah. No, no, not it's consistently not. over yeah. the four years. No. And and I know like a, a consistent argument that started coming up in 2020 and 21. That honestly, what and I look back at it now, and you can see some semblance and truth in it, whether or not it's right or wrong. But the most successful season he had came under a roster of Petrino's players. Yeah. Players that were already kind of sort of developed in the places where they mattered the most. And they did do a good job at overcoming what plagued them the most the year before. But once he started getting his guys in, for the most part, like I I'd have to go back and check, but I don't think he has he sent a single player to the NFL yet. That was someone that he brought in in that first or first one or two cycles. I know Mikai was a uh, was a Bobby guy. Dez was a Bobby guy. Tutu was a Bobby guy. Monty. Who on this Monty. roster that Monty was Bobby? Mon- yeah. no. I mean, no. I, you're 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 spot on. Yeah, it, there's not a single who, player that you can account to and say that's the guy. That's the Satterfield guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Who on this <laughs> roster now that? that Satterfield himself brought in either as a transfer or a high school recruit 
that you can definitively say, yeah, I can see him going to the league. The only Keytron Clark, maybe. Yeah, yeah I mean, Amari Huggins, Bruce, maybe later on down the line, but yeah, yeah, if, I, I if know. I, yeah. An indictment of success for your program is sending guys to the league. And Satterfield, quite frankly, has not done that, except save for a couple guys that the previous regime brought in. Yeah. And your biggest rival has done that. Consistent. Yeah. yeah. Consistent. Have they, first round UK, quarterback this year. At that. And UK has a lot of guys in the NFL right now who are, who are playing good ball. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, between Josh Allen, Mike Edwards, uh, the uh, I think Josh Pascal will be a good pro. I think the, the, mm-hmm. the linemen that they have put yeah. out, you know, Wondell Robinson hasn't even been healthy this year, and I still think he could be a good pro. Um, you know, that, that, and that's that's damning, I think, in recruiting, especially for the in-state kids who want to stay home but yet maximize their potential. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of that is working against Scott and the argument of, like, what even – what can you pull to try to bring him back or to save his job? Yeah, I mean, at this point – it, whatever decision is made um, will be rooted in in lots of of data and lots of facts. There is no emotional play anymore. I think no. that has been worn off, and it simply is what right. what the Louisville football administrative people or the the Louisville athletics view their football program as being, because it really is a kind of breaking point here. The culture of uh, toughness and, and swag has uh, from Bobby and Charlie have now, you know, from the, from the early, early days of Louisville football in the two thousands has now completely worn off. Those guys are almost all out of the program Malik and just here, these guys will be kind of the last bit. And, and so now they're starting fresh. And I don't think that we've seen enough to believe that the next phase, if Satterfield stayed, the coach is going to be good enough to live up to what uh, we believe uh, as a university and a fan base, this program should be. So it's definitely going to be really interesting on that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and we'll wrap up the show with that. That's a perfect ending here. Uh, still, I feel like none of my questions have been answered. Not that you guys haven't done that. You guys have been great. It's been awesome. But we go into <laughs> it every week. If, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what this week's version of that looks like, but, uh, Tyler, thank you again so much for joining us, man. I know you've got uh, a ton going on. Uh, so we'll let you of course, get back to, to your, uh, your real job of doing journalism and not goofing off with us. Uh, but we thank <laughs> you again, man. And, and hopefully as you get to cover some of these games over the next couple of weeks, they're at least a little bit more entertaining for you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> I, I like coming to goof off with you guys and goof off with everyone else. So it's, it's fun. And there are conversations that gotta be had uh, around the program. Yeah. So no, it was fun, and I appreciate the time. Of course. Well, you guys can uh, follow him on Twitter. What's the Twitter handle, Tyler? I want to make sure I get that out for the yeah. people. It's at uh, Tyler underscore Rieger. There you go. You guys be sure to give him a follow. You can catch him on WHS 11 uh, on uh, those news reports there and a lot going on uh, in the city of Louisville right now sports-wise. So uh, definitely encourage you to stay in tune with Tyler and, and everything he's got going on. Uh, we'll catch you on the other side of this is our regular weekly episode. We'll be joined by Vincent LaCoco. We'll be doing our normal shenanigans. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and if you choose not to, we'll catch you next week. <laughs>
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.